Get an inside view of the latest private equity deals and the people behind them. And meet the people who make it happen. Welcome to Deal Junkie, cracking the private equity code. Host Kevin Fechtmeyer and the Deal Team 6 members interview company founders who have succeeded and some that haven't. Each show will feature lively interviews with company founders to find out whether there is a deal or no deal. Now here is Kevin Fechtmeyer and his team of experts. Hello, this is Kevin Fackmeyer here for Deal Junkie, Cracking the Private Equity Code. And actually, we're going to leap forward to one of the more interesting topics in our series, which is what do I do when I get all this money after I've sold my company? I think a lot of our episodes have dealt with uh, the process of picking an investment banker, you know, finding a private equity firm that, that fits uh, trying to get through uh, you know, pretty, pretty tight screen to, to obtain the debt and equity capital. Uh, but, but a lot of questions then you know, come at the end of the process, which is, you know, what do I do with all this money? And that's a, a high class problem. The good news is that there's a, you know, a great industry of wealth advisors out there that can help you solve that problem. Uh, the, the key is getting organized early. And you know, this episode is going to be dealing with what do I do before, during, and after my private equity transaction as it relates to my personal wealth? And fortunate enough to have one of the top uh, financial advisors in the nation, uh, Alan Flater at Flater Consulting, who has been consistently ranked in the top 1% of all, private, uh, of all financial advisors in the industry by the Financial Times and Barron's. And uh, I think we'll let Alan talk a little bit about himself later, but what, what, let, me, let me first set the stage in, in this uh, section of the, the show, which is uh, I, I'm a, a founder of a company and I've got a lot of my wealth tied up in my company. And what, what do I do when the, the bank has a personal guarantee from me that essentially ties up a lot of my wealth and puts it at risk. And I'm getting into my 50s or 60s and I've got to begin my estate planning and I've worked hard to build a great company and I'm looking ahead to you know, scaling down or even retiring. And how do I begin that whole planning process? And those are some pretty key questions. A lot of business owners are so focused on building their business and hiring people and figuring out what their customers need that they don't even address those questions until it's really late in the process. So I think that this this is an important session for entrepreneurs to really ask the question, what do they want out of a company sale? What do they want when they see that liquidity? How much do they want to roll back into the deal? How much risk are they willing to take personally? How much risk are they willing to take with their company and their legacy of their company? So I think with with that, let me bring uh, Alan into the uh, discussion here. Alan, uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I think it uh, goes without saying that we've known each other for years. We're friends. And I've always been impressed with the kind of quality of advice and service you've been able to bring to your clients. And, uh, you know, it's it's not easy. You know, markets go up and down. And uh, you get a lot of the credit and a lot of the blame for things sometimes you can't control. But, um, Alan, talk a little bit about you. Talk a little bit about what you do with for your clients. 
Well, uh, it's been, let's see, and thank you for having me. I, I, uh, I really appreciate it. And, um, yes, we have known each other for a long time. Um, so I've been in the business over 30 years, and basically what we do uh, is a full planning uh, practice. Um, you know, basically, and it, it, it ties in nicely because we do deal with business owners, and um, it's interesting. They're, they're very interesting clients to have because, as you said, they are extremely focused on their business, and that's all they focus on, and we can get into that uh, a little bit later. Um, but uh, basically, our practice, there's six people on my team, and we cover everything. We have wealth planning specialists, which help us uh, uh, through these transactions for, uh, and also with estate planning, tax minimization, uh, management of your assets, debt analysis, um, really everything from soup to nuts. Uh, we pretty much handle, and uh, when we don't know the answers, we usually have connections where we can call and research and get the answers for our clients. But it, it's everything. A lot of the services obviously are necessary uh, for especially business owners who sell because there are a lot of tax strategies, estate planning, uh, and projections and asset management. There's a lot of financial need necessary at that point. But before we dive into some of the details, I want to, you know, each section of the show will be focused on a different aspect of, of what a founder uh, needs to be thinking about and, and, and doing. And, and I think the first one is recognizing the point of pain. But let me give you a chance to talk a, lot, a little bit about yourself. And, and obviously, you know, you're, you're exceedingly modest. But every time I pick up the newspaper, Barons, I see your name at the top list of even of hundreds or even thousands of financial advisors in Arizona. You're always number one, two, or three on that list, and I, you know, talk a little bit about why you've been successful. How, how have you gotten there? Well, um, <laughs> that's interesting, because uh, in some aspect, I'm a business owner myself. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, it can get very complex. There's a lot of information out there, and um, I wish I could tell you I had some magic formula, but the truth is, there's two things that, that I think differentiated myself, and this is going to sound a little corny, but the first thing is ethics. Um, when I got out of the business, uh, got into the business uh, over 30 years ago, it was it was kind of advice, but it was kind of sales, and um, it was basically stock brokering and recommending stocks and getting paid a commission. And whether they worked out well or not, uh, whether the investment worked out well was secondary. Um, the company I was with followed several hundred stocks, and most of them were a buy or a strong buy. And if you believe in a typical Gaussian bell curve, statistically, that's very unlikely. Uh, for every stock that's above average, theoretically, you should have one that's below average. And I just didn't like that. Uh, it, it, it felt like I wasn't on the same side of the fa- uh, table as my clients. So I literally, at that time, 22 years old, called Ford, Coke, uh, Harvard, several other corporations, it's a long time ago, and just asked how they managed money. And the bottom line is it was very different than what was going on at the time. Um, first of all, uh, I, we serve as fiduciaries for the vast, vast majority of our accounts. That is, we put our clients first. We're paid better as results are better. Our pay goes down if our results aren't as good. Um, so we are on the same side of the table as the clients, not getting paid transaction fees. 
The second thing that I did was I learned about portfolio theory, and I, my guesses will jump into this later. Um, uh, but the bottom line is I learned how institutions manage their money and kind of went off of that track. Uh, I saved my money up, and then I went through and got certified uh, in conjunction with the Wharton School of Business and learned how to manage money. It wasn't, um, it wasn't a game of chance. I wasn't uh, making observations and judgments from the hip. I have a, a, a formula and a process that does not guarantee anything by any stretch. I have no crystal ball. Sometimes I underperform. There, I'm not saying that what I do is, is perfect and some type of holy grail, but the bottom line is everything I do has uh, a basis in statistics and probabilities. So it greatly increases the odds of my clients succeeding. Doesn't guarantee it, but it increases it. And that's the separating thing. I mean, the bottom line is when you have a cohesive management style that puts the odds in your favor and you're dealing with an advisor that's ethical, those are pretty much the, the two ingredients, someone who knows what they're doing and someone who's honest. That's a, well, that's a great story. No, that's, that's terrific. We, we see the difference in the private equity world between the different asset classes inside private equity, and they have very different risk-return profiles. Some you can't even statistically predict. Um, there are venture capital segments you know, for a big part of the industry that you don't know whether you're going to lose all your money or make 10 or 50 times your money, and that's a, a tremendous uh, beta. If I'm an investor, um, that used to be called fun money. <laughs> That's not so fun uh-huh. when you lose it. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> most of the time, the world we're dealing with in private equity and trying to select transactions that are going to make money, it's a it's a it's an issue of picking the right people and it's an issue of picking the right company in the right industry and then picking the right structure and then developing that. And if you do most of those things right, you end up with a very strong return. And as we get into it, as a private business owner, you're in a real different place than uh, an investor who gets to look at a portfolio on a screen every day and know whether the stocks go up or down. You don't know where your company sits for most of the year in valuation. You might get the phone call over the transom from somebody claiming to buy your company for a big price. You have to take that with a grain of salt. Um, there are very good investment bankers. We've even had one in the past show uh, from TM Capital that had a really strong, strong uh, process. Similarly, that that had a, a better, because of the, the process, it, it, it yielded a more uh, predictable outcome. So as a business owner, we're working hard. They're working very hard to build their company and yet they have less information than ever today. So the private equity market, what we're trying to do on this show is give people a little more predictability and a little more uh, certainty and knowledge uh, and transparency. And as a wealth manager, I think kind of you're in the same position in the in the public market. Um, yeah. And if, if so, you don't mind, is it okay to jump in for a second? Please. Because that's a really interesting point. I mean, th- and that's how investments in the public markets used to work. All the investment companies that you're looking at are different and they're separate and you're looking at the risk parameters. And it used to be that way. But that's where business owners have to transition over is in the public markets, it's very different. Um, and there's transparency and there's, um, there's numbers out there, uh, values out there virtually every second. And that's where 
business owners sometimes have problems uh, is because, you know, for example, I could look at a company uh, or an asset class that would actually is a better an asset class, and it may not look attractive by itself. You look at it, and the analogy I use is it's a, t- a tablespoon of salt. So I hand you this tablespoon of salt, you t- ingest it, and it's like, ugh, that's horrible. I don't like that, and I don't want to buy it. But with portfolio theory and the open, you know, the public markets, uh, although that tablespoon of salt by itself tastes poor, you may have a meal in front of you that's very, very bland. And that tablespoon of salt is worth its weight in gold. And Mm. actually, that tablespoon of salt is a great buy for you because you have a bland meal. And a combination of the two is actually better than either one of them by themselves. And in a nutshell without going through, you know, pages and, and, and formulas and how portfolio thir- theory works. In plain English, that is how portfolio, modern portfolio theory works. How is it that you maximize your return per unit of risk? How is it that you maximize the taste mm. of the meal? And that is a very big jump for business owners sometimes to grasp. Well, well let's take this in our next segment. We've got 30 seconds left, and I, I want you to imagine what a business owner feels like when they've got uh, a company that someone tells them is worth five million, and someone tells them it's worth twenty-five million, and they're trying to plan their life. And you imagine how terrifying that would be. I'd, am I getting a tablespoon of salt, or am I getting five tablespoons of salt? And there's a huge difference. And the misinformation in the market is tremendous. But yep. we have a system and a solution. And, and again, you know, when we invest, we have a founder-friendly approach that lets them dial it up or down in a more sequential format. But I want to get into the next segment, which is the points of pain. When do you know that you're hitting those points of pain as a founder as it relates to managing your personal wealth? So I guess with that, um, we got a little commercial break coming up and we'll, we'll jump into the next section right there. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. In your business, are you on top of your PR game? PR is what tells your story. Whether it's the business itself, key people in your business, or showing your best face to the public, listen for the brand ambassadors. Host Merritt Hamilton Allen with co-host Gary Potterfield will discuss effective presentation ideas, building your personal brand, risk management, crisis communication, and more. Focus your business goals and PR resources. Listen live Fridays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. How many milestones do we rack up in our lives? 
from marriage to changing jobs, buying a home, and starting a family. We think we have our money and finances figured out, but it isn't that easy. Learn how to plan, set, and achieve your financial goals by tuning into Money Counts, unleashing your money's hidden potential with host Debbie Peterson. It's time to take control of your personal cash flow. Listen every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Deal Junkie. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to questions at cavecreekcapital.com. Now, back to Deal Junkie. Yes, hello. This is Kevin Peckmeyer, host of Deal Junkie. I'm here with Alan Flater of RBC, a well-known wealth advisor here in Arizona. And uh, we're getting to the second session, which is, you know, how do you know that you you need a wealth manager? And uh, I want to start with what I call the points of pain, which is typically when we see a founder, it's, it's... it's often way down the road when they probably should have been thinking about things before. They they have a, a partner who wants to retire. They have a divorce. They have you know a health issue. They've, they've, they've never planned. And now it's suddenly a deadline. And to me, it's really hard to, as one of my partners said, to plan for the, the sale of your house, try to figure out how you sell your business while you're pounding the for sale sign in. You, you want to start long before you reach the point of pain. Um, you know, I think Alan is bringing up a, a really good point because what we're seeing in the private equity world is is very aggressive valuations being pitched, and founders go out and plan their charitable foundations and their donations. They buy big houses and fancy cars, and they find out well, maybe the income from the business isn't what they thought, or the value of the business isn't what they thought, or the income they can get from a portfolio. If they're after they sell their business, isn't what they thought. Um, so anyway, I just want to you know, set the stage for uh, talking about what are the points of pain that that you you need to recognize uh, to 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 address early. And a financial advisor uh, is often the first this the first one that, that figures it out. Alan, uh, can you start on that topic? Um. Boy, that's a lot to cover. Let me, I, I, first of all, I have to agree with you 100% that people really should start to think about the sale before it happens. This is not something uh, that you want just kind of thrust upon you and you're getting this great valuation and you're going to do it. Um, I'm, no, I'm not a CPA, so I'm not a tax expert by any stretch, but from what I've seen, um, the, how your company is structured could indeed affect the tax ramifications, meaning if you're structured one way, when you get bought, you might pay a whole lot more in taxes than if you'd have been structured another way. So um, I, I, I do agree 100%, and I highly suggest people think about it uh, beforehand. Um, as far as points of pain, you know, what I'm noticing is more than anything, and there's multiple issues, but the, the big one is that, you know, you've got this founder who's put everything into this company, and now he's going to sell. And a lot of decisions to be made. How much of the company uh, is he going to sell? Because, quite frankly, a lot of founders are 
it's their first wife <laughs> and uh, the company. And uh, it, it's very difficult for them to figure out what are they going to do afterwards. Are they going to sell a part of the company and still be very involved? Are they going to sell it all and theoretically go from 60 miles an hour down to zero uh, as far as their lifestyle, which is difficult? There's a lot of planning that needs to be done. From a financial aspect, the big issue that I see is if they do sell their entire company and they're not really retained on for very long, uh, the paycheck stops. And it's a very, very strange psychological position to be in. It, it doesn't matter if they have a billion dollars. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. The fact that they don't have an income stream coming is, can be disconcerting. So that's one thing we, we cover. Um, but it's also different as far as investments. Um, you know, if you're relying on investments for income, you have to be smart about that. And, you know, I spend a lot of time teaching uh, my clients that it's not necessarily the highest return that's going to be best for you. Um, we have to really examine the risk level and quite frankly, the formulas to making money in the markets, the public markets, uh, in the accumulation phase are very different than the risks that you as an investor would take in the uh, distribution, the decumulation phase when you're taking money out. You can have two investors. One makes 10%, one makes 6%. And the guy who makes 10% in retirement runs out of money. And the guy making 6% is extremely comfortable. It has to do with the sequence of your returns. It has to do with the timing of when you retire. Obviously, if you retired right before 2008 and you put all your money in the market, you're unlucky. If you retired in the early 90s, you're very lucky because the market went straight up. There are things that you can do to mitigate, mitigate that timing risk. There are things that you can do to mitigate um, the volatility risk, uh, the volatility, the risk level of your assets, how much they bounce around not only affects your psyche, and can cause a bad night's sleep, but it can also affect the geometric rate of return you have on your investments. So without getting too deep, what I'm just trying to say is there's a lot of different factors to look at. Uh, another part has to do with projections. You know, Some people are used to being risk takers, and they answer a questionnaire that they want to take risk. And then I come back to them and say, okay, we can do that. If the risk pays off, you'll die with $50 million instead of 30. But if it doesn't pay off, you're going to need to work in another 10 years. And they say, oh, well, gee, that's not worth it. Maybe I should lower my risk. Sometimes people come to me and they want no risk at all. And I say, that's fine, but you've got to work until you're 68 because your returns are going to be so low because you're so conservative. So that was a loaded question. There was a, there was a lot in there. But, um, you know, it, the, well, the point of paying yeah, I'm finding, go ahead. No, I just think you're you're echoing what I'm seeing in the private equity market, which is some founders love risk. In fact, they embrace it to an extreme. Um, yeah. Some are actually, despite being entrepreneurs, highly risk averse. They you know yeah. they you know they have no debt. They 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 keep very very close to tabs on their on their business and their employees. So they end up really um, also probably taking too little risk. So yep. to me, it's a function of personality. What it, it's fun to see these guys and how they got successful because every private equity deal is got certain success drivers, and yep. some guys I you know I got to tell you that we call them one trick ponies. Um, they they got a good idea. They're really smart. They worked hard, 
but that was it. You know, it was a little bit of random luck. Um, now, there are some serial entrepreneurs who consistently in multiple businesses build value. But I got to tell you, there's an, probably an equal number of one-trick ponies where you end up with, uh, you know, a very successful exit. And then <laughs> the guy, for whatever reason, personality or otherwise, is unemployable. <laughs> and so, you know, they got to make that money last. And that personality type, you know, can be very successful as an entrepreneur, but very unsuccessful as an investor. So I, I, I don't know how you manage that because, you know, that, that's maybe the art of your business is advising different personality types who are company founders. It is difficult. It is difficult. I mean, the bottom line is if I ask somebody, are you afraid of flying? I would get very different answers if it was September 10th of 2001 versus September 12th. <laughs> uh, you, you, it's it's very hard to know how a per, you know I go through a questionnaire and I'm trying to get an idea a zero to ten risk factor how much risk do you want are you a zero are you a ten are you a five well like I said first I go through the projections and let them know what risk level they need to be and they can decide if they want to be more or less risky after that but then we get into the the the, the psychology of it. And, um, you know, what, what made people rich is very a different formula uh, than, than what keeps people rich. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, what I do, part of it is I actually go through it. Okay, you said you were 0 to 10. You said you were a 7. Okay, so you, here's your $10 million. We hit a, a, a bear market, which comes along every six years or so, averages about a 30% loss. Okay, so here we go. Your portfolio of $10 million, you're down $3 million. Now your portfolio is worth $7 million. How are you feeling? How are you doing? What's your wife going to be saying to you as you lay in bed next to her? Is she going to be stressed out? You know, I, I try and really delve into, okay, here is the worst case scenario. How are you going to handle it? Because I need to know that because eventually that worst case scenario is, is going to happen. It's the market. It's cycles. Everything in life goes in cycles. The market does. And I need to know that because what's really, really detrimental is if you don't stick to your game plan. You have to stick to it. If you mm -hmm. say you're high risk and when it goes down, you get out, you're getting out at the bottom. It, that's a horrible, now you've got seven million and everything's changed uh, in that example. Okay. Hey, let me have some fun with you and dive into a politically charged topic, which you know we'll, we can do because it's internet. But <laughs> you mentioned uh, wife versus, I, I gotta tell you 10 to 15% of entrepreneurs today are of, of larger companies are women. And yeah. I'm always impressed, and we're going to have a show with a very successful um, portfolio manager who is a, one of our senior advisors, and she has a perspective. And I won't tilt, you know, give you the, the, the show you my cards, but she has a perspective on how women view risk versus how men view risk, and whether you're, you know, you're married, your your partner has a, a, a voice in these decisions, obviously, about how much risk you take, how much difference do you see in appetite for risk between uh, a founder and the spouse? And is there a difference in your view, your history, between how much risk men versus women like to take? You know, that, that is really, that's really interesting. Uh, and quite frankly, um, I hope I didn't come across as uh, misogynistic here, because quite frankly, in my experience, women tend to be 
I don't, I don't want to go the other way here, uh, but very good investors. Uh, and, you know, we have, especially with my medical practice uh, clients, uh, the wives normally handle the investing as opposed to the, to the, the actual uh, male, uh, if it's a male doctor in that household. So, um, yeah, there, there is... Um, how do I so they have a steadier that? hand, if you will. They're a little, yeah. they're a little less spooked. Interesting. Yeah, I'm try, I'm try. If you can tell, I'm kind of stumbling over my words because you know I don't <laughs> want to offend anybody or or generalize. But yeah, I would have to say that in general, women tend to be a little bit um, steadier hands. They're not as um, gunslinging. They're not as willing to take the risk. And from studies uh, that I've read and seen, and I've you know, I, I, I would assume that they're um, accurate. It seems to me more often than not that, that uh, our women clients tend to be a little bit more um, stability-oriented, um, safety-oriented, meaning they're less willing to take a risk. They really want um, more stability. It's more important that they don't run out of money. Uh, that's a bigger goal than making a ton is the bigger goal is to keep it. And from an economic standpoint, I'm going back to, you know, my college days, econ 101, economics 101, that actually makes sense, you know, right? I mean, if you've got, you know, $10 million from the sale of your company and you take a risk and it grows to 20, that's a $10 million increase. Yeah, you're happy. But the amount of happiness is a fraction of the sadness that you would feel if, you lost the $10 million and went from $10 million to zero. That pain is much greater. So from an economic standpoint, it makes all the sense in the world to me. Well, that's interesting because I think studies would bear that out, uh, that that the, uh, and this is, I'll have to (laughs) Google Wall Street Journal because there's been several articles about how men tend to be more aggressive risk takers but tend to, to shift and 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 get spooked faster than the <laughs> and change investment strategies more rapidly than women who tend to you know invest on a more steady basis. So we'll find out when we talk to Megan uh, Harahan, who's a very successful local uh, portfolio manager, and um, she's you know actually leads a group of women investors. So I just wanted to veer off topic a little bit because you you know you were mentioning that and. And I think it's critical for our founders to understand what risk tolerance they are. And we'll get into the next segment, uh, which is coming up in a minute or so, um, about what is it that you do, you know, after after a deal? What is it that, you know, how do you live your life? How do you set your goals and live your life as an entrepreneur and tie in your money manager to help you achieve those goals? Because that's, to us, a lot of people walk from deals in private equity because they haven't thought about the reasons they're doing the deal and they haven't thought about the reality of what their life will be like after a deal. And when that reality hits them, and I'll, t- I'll give you some crazy examples. I want you to think of some crazy ones too. They get up, they, the day of closing, the pen is shaking and they walk away. And that's actually fascinating. And uh, I, I, obviously it's very rare. But it does happen. And I want you to give us a perspective for, that you've seen for founders and their ties to the business and their planning and so forth. Anyway, uh, next segment, uh, we've got commercials coming up right now.
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Each week, Larry Sternberg joins Dr. Kim Turnage to explore management issues from culture to discipline in Managing to Make a Difference. Join Talent Plus for 60 minutes of dynamic conversation, including real-life management examples helping you manage teams across the globe. This series airs on Voice America, the business channel, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Managing to make a difference every Thursday afternoon with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Alcohol contributes to America socially, economically, and culturally. But alcohol also impacts our health, safety, and quality of life. On Alcohol Across America, each week we present recurring issues related to community, liability litigation, social and college drinking, and the alcohol industry. Join host Dr. Brad Crever and his co-hosts every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Deal Junkie. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to questions at cavecreekcapital.com. Now, back to Deal Junkie. Great. Welcome back, folks. Uh, I've got Alan Flater from RBC with us, one of the leading wealth managers. And I, I got to tell you, this is always a high-class problem that we're dealing with, is what do you do with all this money? And and let me start off the third segment here with a, a question we can go forward with, because it's different. The answer is different for every entrepreneur. But how much is enough? And how do you really find that out when you're talking to your clients, Alan? How do you find out how much is enough for a company found? We just run, we run projections. I mean, we have software where we run 10,000 simulations and we factor in inflation, expenses, Social Security, what your assets are, what your taxes are. I mean, it doesn't guarantee anything. I mean, but it gives us an 80 or 90% probability. In fact, we can make it whatever percent probability you want. And we, we will let you know you know, how much you need. Now, it, well, it no, really but varies. here, let me, let, let me, let me uh, have some fun with this because there's sure. always the, 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 the projections with what they tell you. And then I always find out that when you look at what they actually spend, it's a different number. And sometimes it's a number they don't even know. Uh, yeah. how, how have you found that? I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, we just went through with a deal. Then we looked at some ad backs and trying to calculate a market salary for a founder and uh, one of the adbacks was a was an American Express bill for four hundred thousand dollars a year. Yep. 
And I don't think he took into account how much spending, you know, the quasi-business slash personal spending that went through that account and how that might affect, you know, the salary. Because I, I don't think, you know, you can just juice up a salary after tax 400000 and say, well, now I can live on this this <laughs> this new salary because that would have been way off market. Right? What are you seeing in when you do those projections? How honest are people and what are the differences or mistakes that, that can be made? Well, I would say that they're honest, but I would say that, you know, normally, just so you know, standard rule of thumb for me is whatever they say their expenses are, I assume they're 20% higher. Now, uh-huh. there's been occasions where it hasn't been, but we go through that. People forget about meals here and there, or you ask them what their expenses are. Oh, X amount of dollars per month. But, you know, I look through them, and it's like, well, do you ever take a vacation? Well, yeah, of course. Well, <laughs> where? Because I don't see it here. You know, you get, you, you know sometimes it's, it's, you know, this is going to, uh, this was particularly was not a business owner. It was a widow. But, she, you know, I asked, I looked at her expenses. I said, you know, your hair looks nice. Do you cut your own hair? And she gave me this book like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I don't see any expenses here for you going, you know, to, to get your hair styled and all that. And I know how much those can cost uh, for, for my wife. So, yeah, we do pick those apart a little bit. We go through them. And quite frankly, we always add some money, uh, some percentage, depending on the client. But usually we'll add 10 or 20% after we've gone through the expenses just to make sure that we're accounting for everything because, you know, if I'm going to be wrong on what their expenses are and no one's going to be exact, I'd rather assume they're a little higher and be conservative uh, than be aggressive and all of a sudden they run out of money. What, what, okay, this is the more fun questions. What's the least amount of monthly or annual expense and what's the most amount that you've seen in your 30-year history? Oh, geez. Okay, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, boy, we've got some clients who are they're just you know cut from that depression era cloth and you know they you 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 give them a a a present or something and they gently unwrap the gift because they want to reuse the uh the (laughs) gift wrapping paper you know um we've seen people's expenses as low as you know three thousand dollars a month and you know their house is paid off and social security you know kind of covers most of that we have some other clients who have you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollars. Well, not 30, but uh, that they can retire. But I've got some clients who have over 10 million dollars and they could not retire right now. There's no way because they're young and their expenses are somewhere in the vicinity of $50,000 a month. Um, some of that's charitable contribution, um, but nevertheless, they're, they're going through, you know, six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year and uh, is that pre tax? After tax. Free or post-tax? Post-tax. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you got to pay taxes net of that. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. they've got multiple homes, and, you know, that, in, you know, you got taxes and insurance on those multiple homes, and, uh, you know, maybe one or two has a, a private plane, and, yeah, no, they can, they can run through the money, and $10 million is just not enough. Yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons I raised this topic is that uh, we consistently find that the entrepreneurs underestimate how much they need to live in the lifestyle to which they become accustomed. And that has an impact on the timing of their sale and how much they need from the sale. And, and one of the things we often do in private equity is mitigate that by creating an income stream after the deal. 
And we do that typically with a board fee, sometimes with part-time consulting fees that extend for years. And then we can also obviously convert part of the consideration and the sale into seller notes or sub-debt in the ongoing company. And again, a million-dollar seller note at 12% is $120,000 of annual income. So, yeah. you know, there's ways you can, you know, create. And I was, a lot of people who, you know, justifiably are terrified of selling their company and going off and retiring because, you know, they, they fear that, that you know, they, what could happen could happen to some of their friends. They go out and they have nothing to do. They're out fishing, they're golfing, watching their pot belly grow, and they don't have any <laughs> idea of, you know, what, what they're going to do next. And they get bored and... They, they, they realize, they, they, hey, maybe they should have planned uh, a, you know, a second life a little bit better. I can tell you that we've seen people like you have that have uh, been able to you know, live very nicely on a relatively modest board fee, whether it's a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars, know, they, they've been able to plan their life and, and that's given them a lot of freedom and flexibility and affects how they view the life after the transaction. but we always try to create a lot of, of opportunity for income uh, post-transaction because the founder is so important as part of that cultural legacy. Um, although I can tell you my, our record, and uh, I won't give names, but our, our record was that uh, there, there was um, a, you know, a successful entrepreneur, uh, and, and, and again, she was, you know, done wonderful things with wonderful uh, company um, but uh, I recall it, there was a tough discussion about keeping expenses under 10 million a year which cool. was an interesting uh, discussion um, <laughs> sort of like you know when I remember when we were on Wall Street and and we there was a whole discussion with our infamous Donald Trump uh, when when we had to do some difficult bond negotiations, and this is all in the, the papers, but they, at the time, I was witness as a young person to these discussions about how an allowance of 600000 a month would be too stringent for his lifestyle. And uh, it was just an, a really interesting discussion, because I want to just stress, the bookends here are so far apart based on what you, um, what you see and what you hear. And everyone's different, and it and it's really important to talk to a wealth manager before you make the decision to you know well, sell the company I, or how you want to sell the company. And and for two reasons: number one, those cash flows, if they're staying on on and still receiving salary, those affect what I do with money with their portfolio greatly. I need to know those cash flow streams. The less distribution that I need to send out of the portfolio, it could change whether the money comes from their taxable account that they got from selling their business. Maybe they had a million dollars in an IRA or a pension. Should it come from that pool of assets? Where should the money come from? I need, for me to maximize returns and for me to maximize the length of time that money can last and for me to minimize taxes, these cash flow streams, knowing this information is very very, very helpful for me. And one other thing I was just going to throw out there, which is related. Um, you know, you can go online and do these projections. And I don't know, I'm sure Fidelity, Vanguard, I'm sure all these people have projection software. But I got to say, be very, very careful. Because some of this projection software uh, is not accurate. 
uh, and that's you're talking about using an advisor. That's where a good advisor could come in. I can tell you empirically, for example, that bonds have paid two percent above inflation, and stocks have paid about six and a half or seven percent above inflation. Well, that's the past. I can tell you right now that bonds are not paying inflation. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the yield on the on the bar cap ag bond index is what two and a half. Two and yeah. two and a half and two and three quarters, and you know what? Inflation is two something. So bonds right well, you, now are not paying you, uh, above you, inflation. You've just hit the nail on the head, and in about thirty seconds we'll cut to our last segment. But I want to address what I think is the most important element, which is how fluid the market is and how fluid and flexible you need to be. Because I see a lot of founders that got their ten million dollars or whatever the number is, and then one bear market away, they hit the panic button. And yep. they they're, they they hit that bump you described, and I get a phone call, you know, hey, you know, let's do another deal. Let's can would you pay me a fee? And you know, gee, if I give you another fifty million dollar deal and I get a two percent fee, that's a million dollar fee. That isn't that wonderful? It's all great. I think one of the things that that you know, I, I ask them a question because a lot of them haven't thought about it or they're thinking about it, they don't understand necessarily what impact it has on their lifestyle or the financial. Um, you know, cushion and and and, and flexibility, but um, I just have a simple question. It says, how big of a CD do you need to to buy at your bank to replicate a one hundred thousand dollar a year board fee? Because we offer you know hundred thousand dollar a year board fees for people who come and, and executives who come bring a deal and and help us you know work it to closing and then stay on and, and guide and mentor the, the 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 new management team and help them grow the business. That's a very important part of our business model, a lot of private equity business models. But I just ask them, <laughs> how big of a CD do you need? And yeah. I want to you know, leave that question because you're going to answer that pretty well in the next episode, in the, in the final uh, segment of our, of our episode. So again, thank you, Alan. And uh, you know, we got a commercial break coming. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Ritas is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. 
Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Deal Junkie. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to questions at cavecreekcapital.com. Now, back to Deal Junkie. Hello, this is Kevin Peckmeyer back here with Alan Flader, a wealth advisor from RBC. And uh, final segment here is dealing with uh, founders who sold their company, now have to deal with where are they going to get the money to live, what can they expect from their portfolio, what are other options. In the private equity world, I I was telling Al before the break that um, we often pay board fees and consulting fees, and there's an income stream for a period of time, and that if the founder or executives are successful in helping us source new deals, they get a brand new stream of income, and we try to you know build that into uh, our relationship on a consistent basis. Not easy, but we can do it. But the question I left him with is, is you know, gee, uh, I, I'm a founder. I cashed out for millions of dollars, and now I realize that the portfolio isn't yielding what I thought. Uh, I'd love an extra hundred thousand dollars of income. Uh, how big of a CD do I have to buy? I think that maybe is a little, little conservative. But, Alan, what, what do you recommend? What What is the options for a founder who's got a portfolio, who'd like an extra 100000 of income? What do, you, what do you need to do to generate that? Well, you know, for a, a multitude of reasons, we're in a low interest rate environment, most, mostly due to central banks wanting it that way. So, you know, you remember the days when, you know, a savings account paid 5%. If you look at a major bank statement now, your money market is paying well under a point. If you're forgetting half a point, you're lucky. Um, so that $100,000 stream, especially if it's stable, is actually quite valuable. Um, you know, if, if it's an inflation-adjusted $100,000, meaning it goes up a little bit each year, and you want it to la- ra- la- uh, last the rest of your life, if you're 70 years old, for example, that 100 grand a year might be worth the equivalent of $3 million. If you're 50 years old and there's a way for you to get, you know, 100 grand each year, you know, for the rest of your life and you live life expectancy, I got to say that 100 grand a year easily could be worth $5 million, $6 million. Mm. Um, it really would depend on the client and how much they needed that cash flow because there's something that's hard to calculate, and that, that is the value of the stability of the 100 grand a year. Um, but, you know, conservatively, I would say it's worth anywhere from $3 million to $5 million. That's, that's valuable. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, bonds and et cetera are paying 2% right now for the most part. That's well, the that, world. Yeah, that, that implies a $5 million, you know, instrument. I, I know that. 
that's why our, our founders love to participate in the mezzanine. You know, they, yep. they can generate that with a, you know, less than a million dollars of note, although that tends to not be a, a long-term instrument. It gets refinanced by the bank at a much lower rate, typically in three to five years. Um, yep. But I, I, I've got some folks that have, you know, given us four successive deals and have gotten board fees on three of them. So mm-hmm. you look back and they've gone 15, 20 years uh, in our relationships with with very successful economics that have been extended through multiple deals, and those are the those are the impressive stories I'd like to hear, um, because you know life doesn't end after you sell your company, and yeah. having a good wealth advisor to to sort of manage the mix of income that you get is is critical, um, and and so as as I think about you know maybe some funny stories. I, I think we, we skipped over this in the beginning, but I, I, I don't know if you've got any, you know, crazy stories. Um, you know, I, I, I'll start with one and then you can think of some that where the guy was going to sell the company and, you know, he, he, you know, the 32 year old CFO drove, rode in on a brand new Porsche and then he came in, you know, start talking about his jet and, and it was like, great. Well, you know, this is wonderful how successful this was an insurance company. And, uh, so you know, of course, that you're going to have to report that, and it's going to have to be income and/or adjusted in the earnings, and you know, you're, that becomes a personal expense now. And then, what? That can't be. That you know, that that that's not the way we operate around here. I say, well, if you're an institutional private equity investor, you, you know, you, you you expect your CEO and so forth to fly commercial unless there's a really compelling business reason not to, and yep. you don't you don't lease a Porsche convertible. For your 32-year-old CFO, and so that, in our view, is where sometimes differences occur in expectations of compensation and perks and so forth between you know privately-owned businesses, family-owned businesses, and institutionally-owned businesses. And you know, it's it's not one or the other isn't right, but I just think a lot of people aren't aware of the standards around which these you know institutionally-owned companies need to operate for their own legal and ethical purposes and that's not an easy transition for some business owners um, and yeah. I don't know what you, what do you see yeah I mean it, it is a big change I mean whenever we look at projections and again we're going over what their expense needs are inevitably we find a pretty good amount of expenses you know car payments uh, some entertaining and you know they 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 take a vacation but you know, it, it, they were visiting a country uh, because they were a speaker or something of that nature. There's all these different ways that a lot of their personal expenses get wrapped into the business. So, um, yes, we, we, we have to look at that very much. One thing I also wanted to say, and this is going to sound a little bit like a commercial, but it, it is the truth. You, before, you were talking about the value of an advisor, and we've kind of talked about, like, you know, there's tax minimization and, and, and returns and risk and all that stuff. One thing that I just wanted to throw out there, because you kind of touched on it, there's a burgeoning field called behavioral finance, where they actually hook electrodes to people's brains. They, <laughs> they factor in, you know, exactly how, emotionally what would happen, because we, as humans, we're social animals. And if you get cold from the herd, you get eaten. There's safety in numbers. Unfortunately, <laughs> in investing, doing what everyone else is doing is horrible. Uh, you need to go against the grain. Yeah. That's how you really yeah. make money. 
And that's how you do well, is not invest with emotions, but with a sound process and a, and a sound yeah. uh, formula. And I got to tell you, I just wanted to throw that in there because especially for people who get a chunk of money, it is so damn confusing out there. There's so much information. This market is way different than it was when I got in. Everything's different. There's so much information. Well, this, Alan, advice, I, 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 unfortunately, we've we got a truncated session here, so I can't. Uh, oh, you, you just made an outstanding point and, 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 a, and a, a careful warning not to get culled from the herd here for founders who you know have a little too much money too much too soon. Um, yep. That's great advice. Thank you again for you know sharing your perspectives here on the show, and obviously uh, your contact information will be on the website in case anyone wants to connect with you directly. But thanks again, and uh, really appreciate your uh, participation today. Glad to do it anytime. Okay, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Deal Junkie, cracking the private equity code. Be sure to join Kevin Fechtmeyer and the Deal Team 6 for another edition next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a nice week.